0: All right, well, I'm Pastor Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and uh, I am, again, thrilled to be here. Um, I believe the Lord has a word for me, and I think he has a word for you, and I'm positive that it is for your joy. And I'm positive that it is for you to be encouraged through this teaching, and that you're going to leave feeling empowered to do what it is that he has called you to do. In life, I really do. I think this is going to help us today. Alright, so we're going to be getting in to John chapter 6. We're going to be finishing up, I think this is like 4 or 5 weeks in John 6. We're going to be concluding with the final verse of this chapter, verse 71. It's a big chapter, okay? So go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be starting our reading in 51 to kind of set the picture for you. So we won't just jump in because if you look at verse 60, it says, now when many of his disciples heard this, they said, and it goes into their response and they begin to discuss this. Well, what's this? What do they hear? Okay, so we're going to start reading in verse 51. I pray that you're encouraged by the word of God. Here we go. John 6, 51. I'm the living bread. Jesus is saying this about himself. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give For the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews, the audience there, then disputed among themselves, fought among themselves, literally, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Very graphic. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh. Well, he's not leaving that alone. He's very graphic again. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, key phrase here, abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate back in the day in the Old Testament. They died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live and live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Here's our text for today. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, would you please, out of your abundant mercy and grace, extend to us your spirit as we have your text, the Word of God here that you've given us, open? Lord, would you allow our eyes to see things in this text that? On our own, we would not be able to see. But would you supernaturally give us these spiritual eyes to be able to see and discern the truth of of you? And Lord, would you give us spiritual ears to hear so that we don't just tolerate a lecture, a sermon. We don't just tolerate what is audible, but Lord, that it sinks deep within our mind and our soul so that we will know the truth, and this truth of who you are will set us free. But we have to know this at the core of our being, and only you can help us do that. So God, I'm inviting you to come do soul surgery, as it were, with these words that are given in my best attempt to speak the truth regarding the Scripture. So, Lord, would you go before them, before these words, and work in the hearts and minds of your people here that are gathered not on accident, but on purpose here today, February 19th. God, do something special in all of us. Lord, with me, with everyone here, be so gracious and merciful to encourage us with this word. And for those that are lost today, who are only seeing with the physical eyes, who are only hearing with the spiritual ears, Will you exchange and take out their heart of stone and grant them a heart of flesh just because you're God and just because you want them in your family? Will you do that for your glory? And would you do it for their joy? Just save them as a result of the truth being declared. God, do this. We need this. Every one of us needs this, Father. Help us. Help us. Help us in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So I'm going to try to. We, we read these passages. We read this passage before the chunk that we're taking apart today. But I also want to give some back commentary, even in regards to that and what's before that. Okay. So big crowd follows Jesus. Somewhere between there's 5,000 men, theologians that studied this passage and understanding the crowd and what that term meant in this New Testament era probably 5,000 or more ch- uh, wives, women, and maybe even more than 10,000 children that would accompany a typical mass of that many adults. And so you're talking somewhere, it's easy to say, fifteen to 25,000 people gathering with Jesus, listening and learning. The same crowd that feasted on the, the bread and the fish that he multiplied. The same crowd that he ministered to and, and, and healed many all day long, healing them, helping them. This crowd that's been affected by Christ, not just in these two days, but for years for some of them. For two, two and a half years, some of these followers, disciples they were called, of Christ. So Jesus preaches a sermon in Capernaum, in this synagogue. And it's this sermon where he presents himself as the bread of life. He says, I'm the bread of life, essentially trying to point out the truth that just as bread satisfies the hunger of the body, of the flesh, he can satisfy the hunger of our souls, our quest for meaning, our quest for identity, to belong, significance, eternity. It answers these questions. He is the answer to those questions of our heart. Jesus is declaring that he completely and absolutely satisfies human need. From a spiritual standpoint, just as food does for the stomach, he does for the soul. Jesus is declaring this and people are wrestling, trying to figure this out. They're arguing. How can this man give us his body? Because there's a lot of us and tops. Let's say he weighs 190 pounds. How's that going to last forever? That's not even going to be like, even if we just get a small piece. Like they're thinking physical. They're only thinking Literally. They're not thinking spiritually. Okay. So he's basically presented them with a metaphor, an analogy that was pointing to the fact that they must believe Jesus is the Messiah, that the Old Testament talked about, that Moses was pointing towards, of the greater Exodus led by the greater Redeemer, even bigger than Moses. Big news that they were to trust in Him for true life, for eternal life, that they were to repent of all that was them and hold tight to all that was Him. All that's in Him, this union, this union, this mutual union, this mutual indwelling with Christ. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in Him. This union means that we are united with Christ and that we are identified with Him And not out on our own. With him we are now righteous because he's righteous. On our own we are guilty. Because we're sinners. But with Christ what he did on the cross was fix that problem. By becoming our sin for us. As our substitute. Okay. Living the perfect life for us. As our representative. Beating death for us. Because we can't. He can. Okay. So we're in him now. So the dust settles. After he just goes on and on and on about eat my flesh, drink my blood, three or four times. Verse 60. Now when many of his disciples heard it, they said, All right, this, his disciples, this is Christ's disciples. This is more than the 12. He had followers. He had disciples that called him rabbi, that gave up everything to follow him and pursue him. So when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. This is literally, it doesn't say hard to understand. That's not what this is getting at. What this means, excuse me, essentially is this is offensive. This is an offensive saying. Who can hear these words and even come close to having a desire to obey it? It doesn't mean just listen to it. It means to listen with a heart to obey. Who in the world would, would hear this and want to obey? Essentially, the majority of the crowd is saying, this is impossible to believe. We don't want to believe this teaching. We don't want to accept that you're from heaven, that you're the only answer to human need. And finally, that you're telling us we must eat your flesh and drink your blood. We object to this. You are not our Messiah. But Jesus, verse 61, having this supernatural knowledge about their hearts, knowing in himself that his disciples were discussing, they were grumbling about this, about what? That he's from heaven, that he's a source of truth, and they must eat, believe, take him in, live for him, said to them, do you take offense at this? Is this going to destroy the following that you have in me? Is this going to hinder you from pursuing me any further? Is essentially what he's asking here. Is your interest in me now gone and removed because of this teaching? Well, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, implying he's from heaven? What if you saw that? If you're offended by my words regarding my deity and the fact that I'm going to die so that you can live, then what if you were to see me ascend straight up into the heavens where I'm from? What would you believe then? Would that convince you? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken are spirit and life. The spirit, not my flesh, is what will be in you. Jesus wants them to know how essential the spirit's working is in their lives. These words of Jesus, his claims are what we must have faith in about who he is. He's telling us a truth about who he is and who we are. We must believe him. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The spirit draws you to life through the word. May we know the word. May it dwell in us. May we devour it, eat it. May we believe the word so that we may live. That's the point. Verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew since the beginning, the beginning of what? Here the context is, and this is breaking it apart in the original language, the beginning of when they began to pursue him as rabbi. When they said, we're in. He knew from the beginning of them saying, we're in, those who would not believe. And who it was that would also betray him. Not just stop following him, but absolutely turn on him. Speaking of Judas. He said... This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Many of you had pursued me, but yet you did not believe, because it is the sovereign Father who is in control over who will believe. This is rough. This is tough. This is truth. Jesus points out that the absolute sovereignty of God is what's over our salvation. Consider this, in chapter 6 of John, staying here in home, in this passage, hear these three verses, 37, 39, and 44. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's what he says. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. It's a mystery to me. Verse 66. After this, many of His disciples, many of Christ's disciples, turned back and no longer walked with Him. 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us. Luke 9, running parallel with this story, tells us that these disciples that walked away, they simply went back to what they were doing before Jesus arrived. Some of them had been following for two and a half years. No longer follow. They go right back. After a couple years, a couple days, for some, only the 12 stayed. Jesus simply wasn't the Messiah that they had expected. So because he didn't fit their understanding, they walk. So who's superior in that? When we take a truth of Scripture... And we look at it and we say, no, doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to find something else. We place ourselves over this, directing it where we want it to go. And when it doesn't fit anymore, we find something else. We just simply just kind of dismiss that teaching. That's, that's, that's a hard teaching. We, we just kind of soft toe it over here. That's not how you handle the word of God. We handle the word of God by not placing it under us. We have it placed over us saying, you show us how we're to be and what we're to believe. If you tell us that we're responsible to believe, we're believing. If you tell us that you're responsible over who believes, then you're responsible over who believes. Both teachings are in scripture. Just say yes. Don't say, well, this is too difficult. This must not be true. This is contradictory. The word of God is true, perfect, and complete. Lacking in nothing. And it's good for everything. Even this life and the life to come.
1: This is truth. Absolute truth. It does exist.
0: So Jesus says to the 12, thousands leave. He looks at these 12 men. Do you want to go away as well? Literally. You won't also go away, will you? Here do you see the soft humanity of Christ. Man, have you ever been abandoned? Have you ever felt stabbed in the back? you ever felt lonely? Like people are just walking out on you? Imagine having followers that you have helped and assisted and healed and loved and taught and provided for who say they love you and want to know you and spend time with you and they leave.
1: Lonely. We have a Savior in Christ
0: who can sympathize when no one else is around. And even these 12, he points out there's really only 11. But even in his greatest moment of need, when he's on the cross dying for our sins, John is there and his mom. Out of all the disciples, one is still there, the beloved John.
1: It's fascinating.
0: Lonely. And even there on the cross, to take this a step further, it's recorded where he says, Father, Speaking of God,
1: why have you forsaken me?
0: Wow. Even in his greatest need, because he was bearing the wrath that was due us and bearing the filth and shame of our sin, the Father turns his head away. Jesus knows what loneliness is. So when you crowd to him and say, God, I feel lonely, his heart is for you. He loves you. You are never alone. Nothing can separate you from Christ and his love for you. Nothing. Amen. That's where you say amen. Amen. Yes, absolutely. Verse 68. So you're going to go away as well. Listen to this. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, literally master, to whom shall we go? Whom? Implying a rabbi. Transferring their allegiance to another rabbi. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Remember verse 63? When Jesus said, The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Peter nails it. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Remember what Christ said? Does anybody in here remember a sermon a couple weeks ago when they said, what can we do to do the works of the Father? And Jesus said, just what? Say it loud. Believe. Believe. That's it. Just, Just believe me is what Jesus is saying. Just believe that what I'm doing is what I'm doing. So, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the only one who has the words of life, of eternal life. And look at this statement. And we have believed. Not just that. We firmly believe. You see what he says? And have come to know. We believe it, but we know it. That you are the Holy One of God. In parallel passages, it says that you are the Messiah, that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe it more, we know it it 's like when the faith becomes such faith that it 's no longer a leap of faith it 's just knowledge. You just know it he 's like no, this is we 're certain of this. this is no stretch. You are the Messiah. Where else could we go for this? You have the words of eternal life. John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, his words are spirit and life. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples implying if you don't stay in the word, if you aren't there, that's a sign that you're not a follower. But you are a follower of Christ when you abide in the word and you will know the truth as a result of abiding in my word and that truth and the knowledge of that truth will set you free. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. May that be said of every one of us. Man, that would be beautiful verse 70 Jesus answered them, them because Jesus was I mean uh, because Peter was speaking on behalf of them he says lord where shall we go we have believed okay so Jesus answers them as a group all 12 did i not choose you the 12 i think two things are at work here thousands have just left i think i see christ here affirming these guys This mission is not a failure. I chose you. You're with me. They're not with us. It's us guys. And I believe in you. I chose you. Affirming. Yes. Also, I see something else at work here. Pointing out the sovereignty. You believe because the father gave you to me. That's why you believe. It's not just because you want to. God put the want to in there to bring you to me. His sovereignty. But also one of you is a devil. And he was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We're going to get into that in a couple of weeks. As we get closer to the betrayal and crucifixion of Christ. There's three things I want us to walk away with today. If I could encourage you in these three things from this text. One. One. The work of God the Father, the work of the Holy Spirit is vital to your spiritual life. The work of God the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit is so incredibly important to your spiritual life. Verse 63 It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. So, are we to rely on ourselves? We should rely on the Spirit. Human reason, without the help of the Holy Spirit, is absolutely, completely unable to discern what is spiritually true. The Holy, this is why we pray. This is why I prayed for our children. This is why I prayed for us. God, give us these spiritual eyes, these spiritual ears. Open it. Let us see it because we're limited. We can't see this on our own. You have to come supernaturally, reveal physical, what is spiritual so that we can live, truly live. Have the true food. Drink the true drink of your word. We can taste and see that you are good forever. Instead of just, okay, that's a cool tweet. Yeah, that's a cool quote. Yeah, oh yeah, that story hit me. Okay? But be able to get in this truth and say, yes. This is so much deeper than what I ever thought. This well never runs dry. I want this water. Okay? The Spirit must reveal these things to us. And this is why I would encourage you to pray, even in your own personal study, before you even open the Word, say, God, I'm I'm opening your Word. Would you speak to me through this text Lord, I can look at it and just think of others. I want to look at this and think about what you say about yourself and what you say to me. I can't get there on my own. If I go here on my own, I'm just going to be a a, a cynical, bitter person looking at problems in other people's lives when I read this. I'm great at that. But, Lord, you've got to work through my pride and my arrogance and my physical limitation and come to me in a spiritual way. Open the word. May it come alive. May it pierce me. May, may, May I not see myself as holding a sword And looking at others with it. But may the sword come back on me. And may the sword of the spirit. The word of God. Pierce me. And cut me to my core. Cut me to my flesh. And begin to heal me from the inside. That's what I need. The spirit does this for us. The father. Look at verse 65. One more thought. On praying before you read stuff. No matter how much you respect a particular author. Pray before you read that book. And say, God, this author, I'm sure, has good intentions. But if there's something here that isn't helpful or truthful for my spirit, would you protect me from it? Just let me read, but never really soak it. And what is true, what is helpful, Lord, would you help me draw close to that teaching? I don't care who the author is. Outside of this book, it's not perfect. And there's agendas written in it. That's not helpful. This is the only perfect book. This is the only, There's only one perfect author, the Holy Spirit. So be careful. Even as you pray over other books, no matter... I don't care who it is. That was free. That's not even part of the sermon. Okay. Verse 65. Okay. So the Spirit is, is so incredibly vital, important to our spiritual lives. But then also the Father is is so incredibly important and vital to our spiritual lives. Verse 65, No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Be very careful in giving glory to God for the change in your life. Being very careful to give glory to God for your salvation and your hope because it's only by grace alone that you have been saved. So, takeaways. First, The Holy Spirit and God the Father, so important to you guys. Number two, be ready to do battle daily. You see, in this story, it was cool and easy for a while to follow Jesus. Then it came time to walk the walk when many others were walking away. And when Jesus is no longer the majority thing to do, when he's no longer trendy, it gets tough. When you find yourself in the minority you might work in environments like this. You might be this way in your family. I don't know. But when it's, 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 it's tough when you're the minority in the Christian circles. When we find ourselves in the middle of this tough minority type of doubt and unbelief, hear the, the Spirit say and ask you, even those tough moments where unbelief seems to flourish and where doubting is coming alive in your heart, you know the truth. Man, there's just this war. Hear the Spirit. Will you go away as well?
1: No. I'm going to fight.
0: To whom shall we go? You are the source of life and truth. When you find yourself in doubt and you find yourself in belief, may we press all the more into prayer with the Father. May we press all the more into the Word of God that is spirit, that is life. May we press all the more into our church family, making known to others our unbelief and our doubt, so that prayers can be lifted up on your behalf because you're loved and cared for. And encouragement can be offered. May we press all the more into singing songs of praise to God. Even in our doubt, even in our despair, in our discouragement, in our unbelief. This is putting up a solid fight against this doubt. A solid fight against the source of the doubt, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, the great deceiver is still at work today. Just as he was pulling these crowds from Christ, he's seeking you the same thing today. This is absolutely not popular to talk about the devil. It's so not popular to talk about hell. But these are true realities. And I think that's one of the greatest strategies of the evil one. is to make it uncomfortable to talk about. So we kind of pretend it doesn't exist. Pretend that he's not real. Oh, he's real. John 10.10 says this. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He has a three-part plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He wants to steal you, kill you, and destroy you. This is biblical truth, and it's His plan for you. And so when you're led into despair and to discouragement, it's Him pulling you, pulling you. Stand firm and fight the fight. Don't just give in. Don't just get pushed over. Open the Word of God. Pray through your doubt. Pray through your fear. Pray through your discouragement. Admit to him, God. I feel like you're dead to me. I feel alone. Be near me. I feel like this is just words on a page, like a comic. May it come alive to me. I don't feel like it's alive. Instead of saying, "Yeah, I tried that once," man, fight as a Christian. Fight. First Peter five eight through nine says, "Be sober-minded, single-focused." Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. This is scripture. This is what the Bible says. I'm reading it to you verbatim. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Christian, be watchful. Be aware. Resist him. Stand firm. The Holy Spirit and God the Father is so important. Fight the battle daily. And the third thing from this text, may we as Christ followers be all in. May we have that total dependency that says, to whom shall we go? What compares? Where is the field that has the treasure greater than you? I'll go buy it and dig it up and be satisfied in that. There is no such field. You are the only one that's worthy. You are my treasure. To whom shall we go? You see, Christian, we have been created to be all in. This is our niche. Welcome to your new niche. It's to be found in Christ and to be found where he is everything to you. And struggle and discouragement and so much fear and anxiety come in when we try to live in belief and unbelief. We're all in, but then we're some in. And you wonder why life is so tough. It's because you're trying to ride this fence and straddle this. That's miserable. Examine yourself today. Check yourself. We all have something that's in us that's keeping us from being all in with Jesus Christ. Invite the Holy Spirit in. Remember, he's important to revealing these things. Invite the Holy Spirit in to reveal to you what it is that's restraining you. What, it needs to, what needs to be repented of. What needs to be given to Christ and say, I can't do this on my own. And you surrender it to him. Say, help me here. To whom shall I go? Am I going to run off to a hobby and find my identity? Am I going to run off to alcohol or drug abuse and find, my, find a friend in that? Am I going to go over here and chase a dream or a career path? To whom shall I go? Is it a relationship? Picture yourself even now, years down the road. Picture yourself after living a long, full life. You're laying on what would be known then as your deathbed. You're there. It's inevitable. Days, weeks, weeks. And you have these thoughts. You're thinking there as you're laying on your deathbed. My life is uh,
1: almost over. For some of us, we
0: think 70 years, 60 years. What if that's run its course and you're 89, 90 years old? You know it's inevitable. Soon you're going to pass. Do you think that you're going to be
1: there thinking, man, you know What? I wish I would have snowboarded one more time.
0: You know, if I had one more dollar in my bank account, I'd be happier right now. You know, I wish I would have worked more. I wish more people would have retweeted me. Exactly. But we place our identity there. I wish I had more followers on Facebook.
1: I wish I would have designed more clothes. I wish I would have written just one more song. You know what I think it's going to be? Especially for you believers. I wish I would have been all in. Get a picture for what
0: that is. And fight and fight and study and train yourself and work at it to where there will certainly be regret, but there won't be much. This is our
1: aim. This is our charge. Let's work
0: this way, church. Get a vision for what is to come. Before heaven When you're on your deathbed What your words will be then And let's get on the trajectory Of getting to where we're happy With those thoughts Okay Let's fight for this Let's pray for this Let's pursue this Let's be honest with one another Let's invite the Holy Spirit in Let's Pray to the Father, let's dig in, let's sing together, let's live together, let's work together, let's have fun together. Let's fight this fight together as an army, not out on your own. You're a part of a community for a reason.
1: All right, let's pray. Lord, um,
0: I thank you for your word today. God, I pray, I pray that it does not return void Lord, I pray that it takes root in fertile soil and that these followers remain followers of you and that you, Lord, draw them to yourself completely, entirely. Lord, tie themselves, tie them to you, Father. Lord, don't lose any of these people. Lord, help us examine our hearts Help us examine our lives now in this moment of reflection as we consider these truths and consider reality 40 years from now, 30 years from now, 60 years from now. And Lord, let us depend on your spirit. Trust your Father as we're now in our new identity because of your work for us and your love for us. And we fight this fight. May we be faithful. May we be dependent upon you. To whom shall we go? You're the only one who has life. And your words are truth. And your spirit. God, may we be convicted of this. In Christ's
1: name, amen.